Welcome to this week's Terry's Talking Podcast, the 98th episode with your host, David Campbell. And as I am joined by every week, Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, I thought maybe we'd go like five, ten minutes today. There's really not much to talk about. Just kind of blow through it. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. Um, and so when does the calf season open? <laughs> all right. So we got a few housekeeping things at the top here. We're gonna, I think we're going to be talking Browns for most of what we do today. But before I forget, it is our 98th podcast, and we were talking. We thought it would be really fun. You were talking last week about how far-flung – Cleveland sports fans are and your fans and fans of the podcast. And so what I thought we'd do and what, what you kind of had in mind with, and I, this was something you brought up last week is we want to hear from listeners and tell us where you live and why you're a Cleveland sports fan. Maybe you have never set foot in Cleveland, but you just love the Cavs and tell us the story behind that. Or maybe you grew up here in Cleveland and then you moved somewhere, but you still want to be attached to your Cleveland teams because you love them. So um, send us your stories. We want to know where you live, why you're a Cleveland sports fan. If you want to tell us anything about the podcast, comments, questions, um, send it to sports at cleveland.com and put Terry's talking in the subject line. Maybe we could do, do some of those for the hundredth episode. How does that sound, Terry? If we get a number of them, we could sprinkle them in it. Also, if there's one team as opposed to, you know, the other that you really, really do uh, find yourself attached to. And then you could always ask, tell me again why you like suffering if you're a Cleveland sports fan. <laughs> All right, so Pluto Nation has been uh, solicited for some great stories and some great input. So we look forward to getting those, and we'll we'll get to as many of them as we can. So, and before we get knee deep in the Browns, Terry, uh, you have a library appearance coming up on Monday, which is September twenty fifth. You want to talk about that? It's in Shelby, Ohio. Right, and that that it's at six o'clock, and like all the library uh, talks, they're free in the beginning. It's primarily sports, but not entirely. You should have a little faith column message or that in there and uh, i probably talk 15 or 20 minutes and we just start taking uh, questions and uh, give away some books and i'm pretty sure the library usually sells some books too and people could bring books and i'll sign them i really prefer it to be a book that i wrote or if it's not <laughs> at least i remember one time if somebody brought a book it's like i have no clue why i'm signing this and i said well at least bring like john grisham or somebody made some money here or somebody i heard before <laughs> so it's a lot of fun and so i hope the people get a chance to come on out i've not that's a library i've not been to and uh, we'll get hope to see some folks down that way in shelby ohio all right. If you want to sign up for that, and Terry, you always draw a really strong crowd to these, go to the bottom of anything that Terry's written, and you'll see a little link at the bottom that you can sign up. So, all right. We're going to talk a lot of Browns today, Terry, and then we'll get a little bit into the Guardians and the Cavs if we can. But the Browns are the big story today. We're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. One of our longtime listeners actually emailed last night. One of our longtime listeners at 2.04 a.m. after the game, they couldn't sleep, and they just – they just said, this isn't for the podcast, but I got to vent to somebody. Yeah, and I think he's not alone. And, um, man, where do you want to start here? I, I guess the Nick Chubb situation is the thing we should talk about first, right? One of the things that I did think of today when I was talking to somebody about Chubb and the, the outpouring of things is um, this goes across the two franchises in that Chubb and Jose Ramirez there's a lot of similarities. I mean, these are two players that I can never remember getting a bad email or a complaint from a fan about either one of them. 
I mean, once in a while I would hear, well, gee, Jose's trying to pull the ball too much or something, but that's it. And then both of them, you know, signed extension contracts to stay in Cleveland. Because um, really even, I'm sure Chubb's very glad he signed a contract he did a year ago. But uh, at that point, it wasn't sure. I think the contract Chubb signed made him like the sixth or seventh highest paid running back back then. And they both kind of, you know, play it the right way and like it here. So I, I think that's important. And you talk about having goodwill in the bank. I mean, this is like the Federal Reserve would have been needed to uh, hold all the goodwill that those two have with the two sports and the two different sports with the fans of Northeast Ohio. Yeah, that, that's a great connection, Terry. And with both of those guys, they do so much work with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Jose, Jose tells his story all the time about like, listen, I came from a a very rough background and look what I did through hard work. You can do it too. And Nick Chubb, I mean, the guy, he blew his knee out at Georgia, didn't have the production that he was, you know, people were thinking he was going to have when he was such a high rated recruit coming out of high school, um, got drafted in the second round and just the career he's had, he still goes back and he, 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 both of those guys didn't forget where they're from and like the hard work that it took. Nick Chubb still goes back to his hometown and lifts with the high school team in the summer. I mean, these are just, you're right. These are like two guys that Northeast Ohio has really latched onto. I think you're on that Terry. hundred percent. I know Nick has done some football um, camps here in Northeast Ohio. did one at my high school. They went at Benedictine high school in the summer. And I I know there were several others. Jose, um, along with the guardians helped build a field uh, over by Lincoln West where um, I taught for six months to get certified. And that's one of the sports there at Lincoln West in the Senate baseball that, uh, where baseball does thrive in the Senate. So uh, cool guys. And that, that's why, for example, people, I got some of that's like, I'm just sick about this. You know, when they're talking about what happened to Trump, just, it just, it really, if you're a sports fan, um, it just, even if you're just a casual Browns fan or whatever, Nick Chubb just had a special meaning. Yeah. I I just, you didn't even have to be a Browns fan. Like you could see the Steeler players all went over when he was being Mm -hmm. carted off to salute him. And and you wrote about this, Terry, about um, coach Tomlin calling him Mr. Chubb and that about a sign of respect. And just, he's just such a respected guy and really what the NFL is all about. And just a shame to see what happened. So, Hey, you know what, if anybody can come back from something like that, it's him. Yeah, I so think we'll we can see, say that. We'll see that. So now you go, making it worse. Let me ask you this, David. Suppose the Browns had found a way to win, what was the score, 26-22, whatever it was, instead of losing. But everything happened except they found a way to win instead of losing. What will we be talking about? Other than what we just did, this kind of opening. That's why I wanted to open with the bigger picture, Chubb, before you. So if the Browns had won, what would we be talking about today? I think mostly about how they're going to fill Nick Chubb's spot on the roster and where the touches are going to go, maybe. What do you think? That would be part of it. But I think the other part would be they found a way to win. They found a way to win after losing Chubb. They found a way to win with the defense doing the exact performance the defense did. Gave up a touchdown. It's two games. Nobody's gotten the red zone on the defense. Nobody. It's crazy. It's it cra- is. L- listen to these numbers, Terry. Yeah. First downs last night, Browns 20, Steelers 9. 
Third down efficiency, Browns 5 of 16, Steelers 4 of 14. Not that much of a discrepancy there. Total yards, 408 to 255. Passing yards, 210 to 200. Rushing yards, they went into Pittsburgh and ran for 198 yards with with Nick Chubb out for most of the night. Steelers, 55 rushing yards. Total plays, 81 for the Browns and 53 for the Steelers. You're right. Like, how did they lose? We would would be talking about, okay, the Chubb thing is a huge blow. But the Browns are 2-0 in the division. They found a way to win in a tough environment. Jerome Ford came off the bench, had some really good moments. And maybe, just maybe, you know, the sky is not totally falling. It's cloudy, and you could hear the thunder and, you know, the the lightning, you could see it. But maybe, you know, maybe the sun's going to peek through. Maybe they could find a way to win 10 games anyway. But the way they fell apart, what, the Steelers had minus seven yards total offense in the fourth quarter? Amazing. And I'm watching that game last night, Terry, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Last year there was the quarterback thing and the defense was a mess and the special teams weren't good. Like last night, the defense played an amazing game. The special teams was okay. You know, like DPJ maybe should catch that one punt and not let it bounce all the way down. There, are, There's two people at the top of the list for what's going wrong. And, and number one is Deshaun Watson and number two is Kevin Stefanski, or maybe you flip those, but like, there's no, there's no other fingers to be pointing after last night. Like you just said, they should have won that game. And the reason they didn't was because the offense didn't get the job done, especially number four. We would be scheming, you know, here as fans who care about the Browns and would like to see that. All right. Now you got to dial it back a little bit. You know, maybe you're not going to have this explosive offense, but that defense is probably for real. And then you would say, and look, uh, I thought the, you know, we're going to have a weekly kicker report. We might as well just go ahead and get it over with because you know how <laughs> I am about kickers. All right, Dustin Hopkins missed a 43-yarder. He also made one. But what was it, 55-yarder? I was surprised when they even lined up for it. And he banged that thing through there. So, basically, if you knew he took a couple 43-yarders and a 55-yarder and you go two out of three out of that, to me, that's an A-. minus. And so that's – and right away, I believe now he is – did he kick two or three? I forgot how many last week. He's missed one. He's like four out of five or five out of six. So Yeah, and if you're a Browns fan, Terry, what you have to like is the miss was in the middle and he didn't, yeah. let, he didn't let the bad kick affect the next one, which is what yeah. you see with kickers all the time. So – yeah, that was a positive. And that is, and also, but I would tell you this: okay, I could win with this defense. I could win with a kicker who is a quality NFL kicker. He's got the history to go with it. I could win with uh, a way to figure out how to score some points because I didn't turn the ball over four times. But in the end, you turned the ball over four times. All right, Terry. So. We have the kicker report done. I think we need to – let's spend a few minutes talking about Deshaun Watson here. Where are you at with him? Do you think that this experiment is starting to unravel? Do you think he needs time? Are you somewhere in between? What do you think of Deshaun Watson and where he stands in terms of being the leader of this offense? Well, there's no debate about time. He's got it because he's it. What are you going to do, play DTR? You you, you went – this – when you made the trade, you being the Browns, and they gave up all the assets they did. 
you just said for the next couple of years, Watson is your quarterback barring a major injury. He plays, period. So I am very discouraged about this, and I'll, here's why. Beyond the even the four turnovers and that is his I what I say see as his lack of poise. You know, the the what do you want to talk about? What quarterback is two face mask penalties? You know. Much less one. Much less one. <laughs> Scott Pioli put his question out. He didn't give the answer, but I just saw that, you know, the former uh, executive with uh, his last stop, I believe, was the Atlanta Falcons. He was GM in Kansas City. He worked under Belichick. He was a young GM here, or young assistant uh, GM here. The last quarterback to have two personal fouls in a game was in 1991. Who is it? And I was looking at so far, well, the last time I looked, nobody had the answer. 1991? Actually, I probably would have guessed 1901. But, I mean, you know, so it just – that kind of stuff – really bothered me Dave, because he is not a kid right now quarterback and you could just tell at times i i realize i i have a hard time watching him just because of his style to me it doesn't seem as much as a scramble as almost like chaos you know just running from one end to the other i mean there is a reason he was sacked more times than any other quarterback between 2018 and 2020. Now, those are his last seasons he played. They would, they wanted to blame the um, Houston offensive line for that. And, you know, the Browns offensive line had a rough time. But nonetheless, uh, back then he also was completing 67% of his passes, and he wasn't throwing a lot of interceptions. So you live with the sacks because you didn't get the turnovers and you got accurate passing out of it, even if he had his own way of doing it. Of course, right now you're getting the turnovers and you're also getting um, just a sense that he's not really in control of the offense out there. Yeah. And it, it was really striking, Terry. During the game, they showed him um, before the game sitting on the bench with his um you know, uh, sports psychology coach or whatever you'd call him. And they were sitting together on the, and Deshaun Watson had his eyes closed and was kind of visualizing or whatever they do. And, and this, this, um, yes. psychological advisor, <laughs> what, what do you call that? An advisor <laughs> was sitting right next to him and, and walking him through some, some visualization exercises. And it was a very calming scene. And then you, you're right here, you go to the game and it's just, it's frantic and the feet are happy. And, and you've written about this, like the, the, the gains they're getting from him running or moving around in the pocket so much are being way outweighed by the amount of sacks and, and lack of timing with this offense. The scales are really tilted. The benefits are being way outweighed by the downside at this point, I think, in terms of his mobility, right? I would just wonder why, David, and I'm going to defer to you some on this because you, you really do study the football more than I do. I'm, I tend to be a generalist or I feel more comfortable in the other two sports. But I was watching this with a, a friend of mine and I was just saying, why don't they just some regular boot, you know, regular bootlegs to the right or left, some some kind of set things where he's going out of the pocket. He was driving, dropping back and then go left, go right, circle around. Move yeah, the other thing, move the pocket around. Uh, that was one of the best things that we saw for him um, uh, when Kyle Shanahan was here and what he does. 
and I will just say this: when Steelers have a good defense, it's you know it's unquestionable. Brock Purdy hung thirty points on them in Pittsburgh, and the Browns come in and do what they did last night. Yeah, the offense. Let's see. So the offense scored. Um, how many touchdowns? They had uh, the one, two, uh, Ford scored a touchdown. And um, and Watson had one. Watson had one. That's correct. Uh, so to me, the part, the, 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 the poise and composure part is discouraging because we keep hearing, you know, Deshaun Watson is a good leader. He's played in a lot of big games, which, by the way, from what I was told when he was at Clemson, and his early days with Houston is all correct. Now, I I had written a few times, and I will stand by this, that they were in unprecedented territory when they brought him in with him not having been what turned out to be 700 games, 700 days between regular season games. Uh, there was no comparison that I could find of a quarterback who played a few years like that, then was out for that long, and then came back. And I'm not saying played again, but came back and played it, you know, at a really high level. But it's also just, it just didn't happen very often. Yeah, and that might explain some of the happy feet and just the the lack of comfort in the pocket. Uh, and, And I think you're right, Terry. They can do some things to help him settle those feet down a little bit, but... Man, look at the look at the scorecard last night, right? You met, you mentioned the two face mask penalties. Okay, that's thirty yards yes. that he cost his team needlessly. The two fumbles, right? One on the fourth down, where he can't hang out of the ball trying to get that that first down, and they punch it out, and it comes out. He cost them forty or fifty yards, even if they hang out of that ball and end up punting. That's forty or fifty yards he cost him because he couldn't hang out of the ball. And then the other fumble for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And Jedrick Will said he couldn't hear the snap count, and Highsmith went right around him, and we know the rest is history. When with the fumble and the and the touchdown, so we have two fumbles. Uh, I'm counting about 110 or 120 yards in in territory that he cost them between penalties and fumbles. And it, like the only good thing that came out of it last night was post game. He's like, "This is totally my fault. I got to get better, and I am going to get better." So I mean, if you're a Browns fan, that has to be encouraging. At least you don't have a guy who's shirking responsibility i do think that interception might have been harrison bryant's fault Mm -hmm. like i think he cut that route off but if you don't throw it so high like that can't happen um yeah i mean the old old thing on on throwing a pass again i will defer to you but i just recall people saying you know if you're going to miss throwing a pass to a receiver miss low not high Um, especially kind of in that crowded area and that area was going to be crowded uh, the way that was it's the same thing at the end I remember watching that, and I'm, I'm yelling, wait a minute, that's pass interference uh, on the last pass to, D, to DPJ. But then you look, where was the ball throwing? It was well out of bounds. You've got to put it in there so your, quarter, your, your guy has a chance for it. Oh, man. All yeah. right. Well, I'm, No, I'm very serious, David. Where, what happened to the accuracy? When the Browns obtained him, he is completing 67 point something percent of those, two out of three. 
let's make it basic. No NFL quarterback in history who's thrown at least 1,500 passes had a higher completion percentage than Deshaun Watson did in his career at Houston. And they weren't all just three- and five-yard passes. You know, some were downfield, some were mid-range. Granted, he was in the Dome, and he was playing to, generally playing, you know, in the South. He wasn't – nobody – nothing quite like playing in the AFC North. I think we know that for quarterbacks. This is – this is that's a man's league up there. Nonetheless, <laughs> you went from it's like a guy that used to walk two guys in per nine innings in baseball to walking over five. All right, so I'm going to play devil's advocate. Last week was very wet and hard to throw the ball, and last night was that's a tough man. I didn't even play, and I was sore after watching that game. Mm-hmm. It's a tough place to play. Jedrick Wills couldn't hear the snap count. He was being harassed all night. Like, things can get better. Like, there, I don't think oh, there's sure. any doubt about that. But they uh, they got to they gotta fix this fast because there's – you're right, too. They're not making things easy for him either through blocking well or moving the pocket. Some of that I think we're going to see starting next week, especially with Nick Chubb not in the lineup. Um, but man, I just, things have got to change. And I think Kevin Stefanski knows that one of the first things, and you pointed up this right away, Terry, Harrison Bryant, man, the the first play of the game. And you pointed this out after eight days, what do they do on the opening play? Harrison Bryant <laughs> out of an empty backfield. So there wasn't even a, a, a notion that you might run it. And I, I don't know. I, it, it's just odd. now. All right. I'm going to go a little bit the other way. Because this goes back to, I think, pretend they had won the game. We'd be sitting here saying, Jim Schwartz has got an elite defense. We would be talking about, you got a reliable kicker. We would say the special teams would help if DPJ just fair catches the ball, which is why I thought he was in there, by the way. And we would be saying, all right, Jerome Ford came in, and they ran the ball pretty well. And we'd say, if this team could average 22, 24 points, and that which is not out of the question, with competent may, uh, NFL quarterback play, competent, not great, you can still win 10 games. And by the way, that thesis holds if the last part is delivered, the competent quarterback play. Not great. Well, we talked last week, Terry. I thought they were going to win by two touchdowns, and they should have. Like, if Nick Chubb – Nick Chubb's injury changes everything, but it doesn't change the fact that Deshaun Watson is not playing in a competent quarterback role right now. Uh, and yeah. that's the biggest thing they have to fix. So, But go, I mean, go back to Harrison. Go ahead, Terry. I mean, the other thing, I, I'm sure Schwartz is uh, – did you get a really good look at the blown coverage? I couldn't tell. It's like Deshaun Watson was on Pickens for a while, and then nobody was. Yeah, I never got a good look at that on TV in terms of who was handing off to who and who was supposed to be deep middle on that play, but it, it was a bust. It's the first one we've seen, right, so far. That's true. The nice season. thing there is, okay, it was a bust, and then we go, and after two games, the defense has allowed one touchdown. And that's, I mean, I would, I mean, they played Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill next week. If Ryan Tannehill's looking at these first two films, it's like, holy cow, what a day this is going to be. And 
I love that about the Browns. I want the Browns to be that uh, the team that uh, uh, they're just feared. And not because they're dirty physical. They're just outright physical. I mean, you don't see a lot of – there's a lot of celebrating. And I wrote a column based on uh, Schwartz's last press conference where he talked a lot about uh, basically trying – you always hear culture and spirit. Well, he has brought it, and the guys have embraced it, and it's real. So when you have an exceptional defense, it gives you a chance just about every week in the NFL. They always talk about the offense because now, you know, the, the league likes to market the offense. They don't care about the defense. But we up in Northeast Ohio, we know the value. Why have the Ravens been so good for so long? The Ravens are like having a glob of gum on the bottom of your shoe you can't get rid of them because you know what they are they're so annoying they always come out there with these linebackers and all these other guys and you know we talked about linebackers i don't know what he's doing with the linebackers i'm not schematic good enough all i know is jlk is making plays yeah you always know you're going to get it from the ravens wouldn't that be something terry like with all the stuff with deshaun coming in last year like what if the identity of this team became that defense like i think browns fans could latch onto that and really fall in love with that this season if things start to you know take off here that could be the the identity of the team the identity of the fans kind of bringing back some of that old dog pound attitude Mm -hmm. the other thing i was going to mention about jim schwartz Last year, you know, in the past, we've seen the Browns defense be good for one, two penalties every game that were just, oh, a guy fell on the quarterback when he was hitting him late or, you know, hands to the face. We're not seeing any of that stuff anymore. There's no hands to the face. There's no uh, defensive lineman going in and landing right on top of the quarterback and getting a 15-yard penalty for roughing. They're doing the little things right, and it's showing up in these numbers. They're just – you're right. they're, They're scary. And they also, if you look at it, it's a defense brought in from different areas. It's not like a defense that's been together. I mean, the only off, the only starter on the uh, defensive line from last year is Miles, if I'm correct. And then you turn around that uh, he's kind of mixing and matching with the different linebackers. Uh, they, you know, they McLeod and Thornhill with the safeties. So some of the back end has been together, but they totally redid how they do those coverages. So those guys. They may as well be new because they're they're doing that completely different. So I'm encouraged by that. I mean, I'm, I just I marvel at them. As you said, they're playing hard, but they're not. I mean, watch something next week. They get five penalties or something, but they're not dirty. Who knew the two the two unsportsmanlike penalties would be on the quarterback? <laughs> you couldn't but, have gotten a line on right, a sports book on that one before the money line. Yeah, go bet that one next week. <laughs> Uh, all right, Terry, real quick. This Every time the Browns and Steelers play, there's like uh, Miles Garrett versus TJ Watt comparisons and who's going to be the player of the year. And, man, just there was no comparison last night, right? Uh, if you had to, if Browns fans had to choose between one of those guys last night, you'd take Watt every time. Yeah. He impacted the game in so many ways. And, listen, Miles Garrett is a great player, and you can't replace somebody like him easily. But, like, TJ Watt, was just a better player last night. Fumble return for a touchdown, four tackles, a sack. He knocked that pass down, right? It's a, knock, a pass defensed. And Miles Garrett had one tackle the whole night and, and wasn't really that much of a, of a factor. Miles Garrett played 41 snaps out of the 51 plays. 
Isn't that amazing to go back to the defense again? Yeah, you're correct. Obviously, Watts played better and probably is better. The Browns had a dominating defensive performance on defensive line, one TD with Miles Garrett. Oh, I sort of noticed him, but he wasn't a reason. Yeah, he was the highest graded Browns defender at 91.7. He played 41 out of the 51 plays. Mm-hmm. TJ Watt played 70 plays. Yeah. <laughs> out of 75, and he graded 82.6 according to PFF. So TJ Watt was on the field a lot more, but man, he played 29 more snaps than Miles did, which makes for more opportunity. But just he won the game. He won the game for them last night mm-hmm. in a couple of ways. So. Just wanted to mention that that Miles has some work to do if he's going to beat out Watt for Player of the Year. So yeah, and I guess maybe I'm tired of the defensive Player of the Year thing for Garrett. Just be part of this great defense. Make this into a great defense with you being you know part of that engine driving it. That's all. That's all. Because you will be noticed. If the Browns keep giving up one touchdown a game or something on defense, you're going to be noticed. Everybody's going to be noticed. Rising tide uh, floats all boats. They say everybody will be winning awards if they if they keep putting up numbers like this. So, all right, Terry, we got to wrap up this Browns segment here. But real quick, if you want to see the Browns do one thing against Tennessee this week, what do you want to see? Could be it could be Deshaun Watson or anybody else, or coaching or play calling. What do you want to see? I'd like to see them do a little more of the type of offense they ran against the Bengals. Uh, I'll go back to that. There was sort of normal football offense. They didn't seem to be uh, overwhelmed. And the, and the Bengals don't have the whole Steelers line, but the Bengals have a good defensive line. They do. I mean, I watched them against um, Baltimore. By the way, I thought Lamar Jackson was pretty good and in that game. And that was, you know, I'm looking at going, oh, Baltimore's back to being Baltimore again. Baltimore, they're that glob on the bottom of your shoe. You just can't get rid of them. It's going to be a going to be a war in that game but they just i want to see a browns team that finds a way to be good i mean you want great eventually but generally you have to go from fair to good to great to you know super status rarely do you see these big um where, where in other words, where you're good for quite a while. Yeah, sometimes a team seems to come out of nowhere. I call it have a Haley's Comets season. You don't know where it came from, and then it goes away. Browns, 11 and 5 in 2020. Browns, 10 and 6 in 07. And then it's just kind of lost in the, the galaxy of football seasons, and you're back to more darkness instead of that bright, shining star. Um, so I want some northern lights out there, you know, to, to <laughs> bright things up for a while. Well, I think you're, I think you're right, Terry. I think this defense can be a lasting thing that will give them some foundation. But the, the, one of the big things I want to see is I want to see less. I want to see them asking Harrison Bryant to do less. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is you're paying David and Joku, and yes, he fumbled last night, but you got to ride him with Nick Chubb out of the lineup. You need sure. him getting more touches. The other thing they're asking Harrison Bryant to like pull across the line and kick out defensive. No. Like, yeah, you've got other guys uh, that Nick Harris thing they used last night. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like it's back to the old fridge approach where it's like, yeah. put put the big guy back there and let him take Minka Fitzpatrick into the end zone and put him on his back. Mm-hmm. Like put him out there as a, as an H back, have him pull across 
and kick somebody out. You're asking Harrison Bryant, who's not a good blocker, to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do. So find other people to do that stuff. And that's one of the big things I want to see. And then just, you know, Deshaun Watson needs to settle down. One other thing, what we, you know, I watched uh, some of the stuff in training camp and this. Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore. Stefanski, who rarely gushes, gushes about Elijah Moore. He's learned all these plays. He could do all these things. Swiss Army knife. I'm so tired of Swiss Army knife. Who the heck has a Swiss Army knife anyway? But Swiss <laughs> Army knife, you know. Well, let's see. You know, let's put put him out there. So now you need another weapon. Let's see him. Let the fireworks begin, right? Yep. <laughs> As they said. So, all right, Terry, we're going to take a break. When I want, when we get back, I want to ask you about the Guardians. And as they wind down here, if you're feeling encouraged about them, discouraged, or somewhere in between. And um, we'll see how you feel about that. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluter, we're going to get into some Guardians here. Terry, it's been a weird season with all the injuries and the trades. And um, I guess another weird thing happened on Friday when uh, Lucas Giolito went out and had a really good performance after not doing that in his previous outings for the Guardians. But just another example of just how odd this has been, right? I mean, he went from August 1st on, kind of like when he went to got traded from the White Sox to the Angels. Before they had a 3.6 ERA from starting the year till uh, the end of July. That was with the White Sox. Then he goes to the Angels, and his first couple outings with the, with the Guardians, he throw it in there. His ERA was like eight. He had allowed 13 homers and like 35 innings. And we even, on the last podcast, I think about that word, is he hurt or is he tipping his pitches or both? Then he goes out. And throw was it seven scoreless innings this last game? And so he listened to the podcast and they made some changes. I do wonder, <laughs> by the way, if they did make some changes. Now I did notice a couple things. One is he uses breaking ball more because usually it's, it's kind of a fastball, uh, uh, a fastball changeup guy, uh, and that I think helped him. And so it was just. It just kind of fit in with everything else. This has been just a totally disjointed season for the for the Guardians. I think they're seventy two and seventy nine as we're talking right now. And when was the last time they had a winning, even like an eight out of eleven, that kind of streak? They just can never seem to get going with that. So as we look at this team, Terry, they're kind of playing the string out, and the, the mm-hmm. Twins are going to win the division. There's by the way, let's give the yeah. Twins credit. I think since the I think they're like seven over five hundred since the All Star break, and they're not playing great, but they went out and played well enough to win the division, which is all the Guardians needed to do. You didn't need to be super team. You didn't need to be like uh, in two thousand twenty two when they won twenty four of their last thirty two. You you just need to play over five hundred ball, you know, like five fifty something like that, and they've done that. Yeah, and once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen, right? It is baseball, and there's nothing like playoff baseball, so you, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. But um, but going back to the Guardians, like it, it, as they head into the offseason here, so Giolito is going to be gone. His contract's running out. I don't know if they're, they're going to keep him around, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they will, depending on what the price is. You've got, you've written about Chase DeLauder down in the minors, maybe a couple of years away, Kyle Manzardo. Uh, who Paul Hoynes went down to Columbus to see last week. There's some promising hitting prospects coming. You've got Jimenez, who's proven to be a really good foundational piece. 
Stephen Kwan. I don't know if you think he's a cornerstone of this thing going forward, but why don't you, why don't you just give us an idea of how you're feeling about the Guardians going into the offseason? You encourage, discourage, and, and also who do you think is Kwan going to be a cornerstone of this thing? Who else do you think figures into the long-range plans here, and how do you see it fitting? Because Kwan's a guy you could put in center field if you want to do that and just have a straw be an extra outfitter or trade him. Uh, Quan was a career center fielder going back to his high school days. He played center field on a national championship team in Oregon State. And he played center field in the minors, and he won a gold glove in left field last year. I'm looking right now. He's at 273. His OPS is 7716. Uh, stolen 20 bases. He plays like every day. They run this little guy into the ground, and he's held up. Uh, I just really think he's going to continue to get better. I might even approach him. Uh, with some sort of a mile straw type extension and see if the, he would be willing to go for that. Um, so uh, I, you kind of start the outfield with him, and then you go, well, I don't know after that. I'm going to go shopping because I need to find somebody else. Uh, water, by the way, I haven't the exact stats in front of me, but he's moved up to double A, and he's been getting a hit or two every game at Akron. He might be a guy that maybe opens next season at double A and grows into triple A and comes to the big leagues. Uh, I mean, you guys hitting 350 a total in the minors for this year. Uh, and they just moved that Juan Brito guy up from double A to triple A. He is a player they got for Nolan Jones now, but he's a primarily a second baseman or third baseman or something like that. Um, but they have to go out and get some veteran bats. You know, Jimenez is, is, is actually finishing stronger and playing a little better than I'd noticed of late. You know, he's hitting 248, 702 OPS, uh, 13 homers. Uh, I think he's got 29 stolen bases. Uh, I still think he's a elite defensive second baseman. So I really, you know, I like him. And, of course, Josh Naylor, usually when a guy misses that much time and he has the dreaded oblique injury, he comes back and struggles. Naylor's like, oh, no problem. I was hitting before, I'll hit now, and he's, and we're talking 311, 850 OPS, 17 homers, 91 RBIs. That injury to him was so major. We could talk about trading Josh Bell or all this other stuff. I think the biggest setback they had uh, was Josh Naylor getting hurt because at that point, too, Jose, I think, just really went down. There was nobody hitting behind him. That even led to them batting Jose second because there was they figured, well, at least get him more at bat, so maybe they won't walk him if Quan gets on first all the time, you know that kind of thing. Um, so, but there, you know, you you still need. Chris Antonetti made a mistake when he said, uh, you know, it's not about power; it's about run scored. No, it's about run scored, and power helps you get them. And power is also doubles; it's extra base hits. It's not just pure homers. I don't want to see a team that relies on home runs and strikeouts. But I don't want to see a team that's last or second last at home runs every year either. It isn't or, it's and. It's power and, you know, getting on base and that kind of stuff. So um, they got to go shopping. And they have some pieces they can move around, like you said, in the outfield, especially if you find a couple of good veterans so they can plug them in there. So to summarize here, you're feeling encouraged about this core if they can add a couple of bats, a couple of veteran veteran bats to buy them some time until these young guys come up. Is that when accurate? I have, when I have a bunch of good starting pitchers, I'm always encouraged. 
It's it's a little bit like the Browns discussion about having if I have an elite defense. When I'm looking at Gavin Newsom, I mean Gavin Newsom, I believe is governor of California. <laughs> yes, Gavin yeah. Williams. Um, my I, if I had to pick between the two Gavins to pitch this weekend, I think I would go with. All due respect to the governor, I would take the number one draft pick. So you had <laughs> Gavin Williams, and then you also have Logan Allen, and then you have Bybee. Bybee. Early in a podcast, I mentioned how a top scout told me, he said, I'm not saying the guy's going to be Shane Beaver, because remember, this is the start of the year. Beaver's still there. He said, but he has Beaver-like poise, where you could bring him to the minors right now, and just like Paul Beaver came up, this guy can handle it. And you look at, you know, Bybee, a 2.98 ERA, 10-4 and record. Maybe he doesn't have Beaver-like poise. Maybe he is the next Beaver. You know, like Bieber was sort of the next Kluber that they come up with these guys. So you have that going for them. And by the way, I've always liked Cal Quantrill. Early in the year, it turns out he was pitching hurt for quite a while. So they got him straightened out. In September, his last four starts, he's got a 1.90 ERA. So you throw him in there. I don't know what to expect from McKenzie and Bieber because they've been out for so long and, um, I know the Guardians would love to have Bieber pitch once or twice in the big leagues before the year's over for two reasons. One is so he feels good about himself and his arm going into the offseason. Secondly, maybe they can convince somebody to trade for him. Yeah, and he's up for arbitration at the end of this season. They have yeah. one year of team control, and then he's a free agent after 2024. So this it is kind of an audition, but also, you said, just for for him to work some things out. So. All right, Terry, uh, I guess we can talk about the Cavs real sure. quick. They're, they're going to open their preseason. It's coming up already. I think it's October 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, they're playing at Atlanta. Training camp will be starting soon. Do you think the Cavs are <laughs> – if the if the you know the Guardians are going to end up not making the playoffs, if the Browns kind of have their wheels fall off a little bit here without Nick Chubb, do you think the Cavs are where fans are going to kind of hang their hopes for the for this season? That is the blessing of being in a market where you have three pro teams, you can kind of switch gears. And now Browns fans stay with the – I used to call them the orange helmets because we have the white helmets. You know, somebody said to me, boy, I love those white uniforms, but now I'll always think about what happened to Nick Shove in Pittsburgh when I see him. I'm like, and that is – I like those uniforms. They look sharp, but, but it's like, and, this, of course, that's the classic thing about being a Browns fan. They kind of come up with a uniform you like, and Chubb blows his knee, and it gets associated with that. Um, to me, I'm excited to see what the Cavs look like. You know, you had Struess. You had Niang. Um, these guys have gotten another year older, um, in turn, which is good because they were all in their early to middle 20s. And they won 51 games or whatever it was. And I, you know, I like their team. I like the personality of their team. Uh, I think they have players that are easy to root for, and they're pretty good with a chance to be better than that. So I want to see them. Yeah, and I can't wait for Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the team. There's always interesting stories in training camp of like mm-hmm. what what guys have changed about their game, and I'm always interested to see. Well, I really wanted a I wanted to work on my turnaround jumper from 15 feet, or I wanted to work on this or that. And then seeing it play out in some of the games, I think watching the players continue to get skills that they didn't have before is kind of a fun part of the preseason. So at least we won't, have, we won't have to hear a whole long thing on how Isaac Okoro 
uh, rebuild his whole shot. Because <laughs> what you try, this is not the knock. He really, he's tried everything. Uh, it reminds me like some guy that just can't hit. He's got a new batting stance every year or whatever it is. Um, because you're going to have Struth and you have Niang, you know, who guys who can play that small forwards position and, and make some shots. Um, I've talked to a couple NBA people who really like Niang. They think that he's been um, underrated and that he he can be used even more effectively than he was in Philadelphia and Utah. They said he tends to get a little heavy, so that'll be interesting to see what kind of shape he shows up. But um, now Struess, you know, Struess had, was tremendous until the finals for Miami, and then he really struggled. But fine. If he gets the Cavs to the finals and he really struggles, uh, I'm frankly, I'm good with that. <laughs> but you well, mentioned there, we'll see how, what does Mobley come back with? You know, and what does Jared Allen come back with? Well, how are they, are they developing some more inside games or, or just what it is? And um, I, granted, I love basketball. And I like what JB is doing with basing the team around defense because I think even though it the rebounding killed them against the Knicks, but really the Knicks didn't average 100 points either in those games. So that was one of the... Uh, the downfall there. And of course we talked last week about Tristan Thompson. A couple, I talked to a couple NBA people. They thought for 10 or 15 minutes a game, he can get in there, knock some bodies around and get some rebounds. So we'll see. Yeah. I can't wait to see what Jared Allen looks like when mm-hmm. he comes back. Like he's, he's kind of built like Tim Duncan a little bit, which is a little bit, you know, he's a finesse player kind of. And after he got knocked around in the, in the playoffs by the Knicks, I, I wonder what he's going to look like. Did he decide to keep the same body or is he going to change and, I don't know, get a little Charles Oakley in or something, well, but you know, there's that's going to be interesting to me. And also, when you get the ball three or five feet from the basket, don't just throw it back out. Put it in. Yeah. You make sixty percent of your shots. Go ahead and do that. And I mean, obviously, the the player that people talk about that could be a superstar is Mobley. And you know, I was talking to an NBA person, and this goes back to we talk, we one time we talked quite a bit about the summer league. Um, you know, Isaiah Mobley. The, the younger bro- or the older brother, the younger the younger in terms of experience, but the older brother, uh, he could be a viable player for them coming off the bench. And by the way, somebody said to me, he goes, that's the th- you were talking about a guy that uh, maybe would bump up Tristan Thompson off the roster. Because Thompson, by the way, it's interesting how they set up these NBA contracts now. Uh, there's a veteran minimum, like 10 years or more. It's like $3 million, but he's only guaranteed – uh, 200 grand, which is like to you and I being guaranteed 200 hours. I mean, it's nice, but it's not. That's a uh, that's a know. Kardashians episode they, episode for yes, him. Yes, they can they can write they can write that off. Yeah, that's that's not even lunch for those guys. <laughs> so when they go out, uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm. What, what did you say? The media day is like October 2nd or something, isn't it? Yep, it's coming up, so, and the first preseason game is I think against Atlanta on October 10th. So it'll be here before we know it, and then the season opener is October 25th against the Nets. So it's coming up fast. So, all right, Terry, a couple things before we wrap up here. I wanted to give a shout out. I know you were up late with the Browns last night. We had a whole crew of people in Pittsburgh, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harris, Jimmy Watkins, photographer Joshua Gunter. They they were literally up until 4, 5, 6 oh. in the morning last night covering the game. I mean, the game ends at, at almost 12. They were in the locker room till 1 or one thirty writing and producing content until five, six in the morning and uh, just 
shout out to them. They do incredible work and very late at night so that when you get up in the morning, you can read about the Browns and, and figure out what's going on. So kudos here, to here's all of them for, modern, for last here's night. modern media. You know, in the old days, it's like um, generally most of the stories would be broken on the local level, you know, who is signing or who is being traded. What has happened uh, in the last 15 years or whatever is there is a marriage between teams, agents, and ESPN or NFL Network or whatever, where they will just, and I, I, mean, I talked to a, a GM who told me, he said, now all of a sudden I've cutting a deal with an agent and we're getting ready to go. And I'll say to the agent, okay, who do you want to do a favor for? And I'll say, oh, it's, you know, Adam Schechter or it's whoever it is. So they may get it first on a tweet. But the difference is we care a heck of a lot more about what that tweet's about, what it means to Cleveland, all the other stuff than a tweet. We live in more than tweets, and we live in more than just, you know, a couple of sentences to say this guy's signing or this guy's hurt. That's why I think that um, I love still working on a local paper or in local website in where I grew up because I could write at length. Uh, whether it's through notes or whatever, as opposed to being on a national stage where some of my friends work and just onto this, onto that. You know, it really is hit and run drive by journalism. Whereas we are, you know, no, this is our neighborhood. This is our house. This is our yard. And this is, we're going to try to bring you all that we can. If anything, sometimes I look at go, we're maybe overkilling this, (laughs) but remember this, there's, unlimited space in cyberspace it's not like you're taking space in the paper from something else uh on on the website you can write all you want yeah well that browns crew we had last night and you you included Uh, terry they're the best and uh if you see anything that you think we're not covering let us know but i think you're gonna find pretty much any questions you have answered hopefully so uh all right and we need to mention real quick terry has a weekly newsletter sign up for it it is free just go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and you can sign it. It takes a minute. You just click a box and put in your email address and you're done. You'll get Terry's stuff in your email once a week, every Monday. And it's everything he does. And you'll keep up to date with the latest in Terry Pluto. So, all right, we're good. We're good. Other than we want people, wherever you are on the globe, send us your name. Send us where you are. Send us why you care about sports in Cleveland. And I also want to know what team you care about the most. All right. Sounds great. Should be a really interesting week. We'll catch you next week for the 99th episode of Terry's Talking. <laughs>